so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Welcome back to another episode of Weekly Tech, a podcast about ethics, theology, and philosophy in a technological society. Weekly Tech is a project of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, and I'm your host, Jason Thacker. As always, alongside this podcast, we also have the Weekly Tech newsletter that you can sign up to receive each Monday morning. This resource is designed to prepare you to think deeply about the pressing technology issues of our day, as well as to stay up to date on the latest technology news and top resources. You can subscribe now at jasonthacker.com slash weeklytech. In today's episode, I'm joined by Dr. Jeffrey Fulkerson, who's the director of the Carl F.H. Henry Center for Theological Understanding at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and Joel Chop, the Projects and Communications Manager at the Henry Center. And we talk about a new volume that they co-edited, Science and the Doctrine of Creation, The Approaches of Ten Modern Theologians. And now let's join our conversation. Well, first, I want to thank you guys for joining us here on Weekly Tech. As we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourselves and about the Henry Center and then kind of how this whole project came about of putting together this type of volume? Yeah, my name is Joel, Joel Chop. I'm the uh, project and communications manager for the Henry Center, which is a ministry of Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Uh, so a little about myself. Um, I'm a graduate of TEDS. I did my master's there, uh, MA in Systematic Theology, uh, and was privileged to be a part of the work of the Henry Center while I was I was working on my master's back in uh, 2011 through 2013. And then following that, I moved to Toronto for a couple of years, started a PhD program uh, in Systematic Theology as well at the University of Toronto. And um, right around the time that I got done with my coursework and residency requirements up there, um, I bumped into my old professor and um, also the former director of the Henry Center, Tom McCall, at a conference, uh, a theology conference at Notre Dame. And he he told me about the creation project uh, that was just then getting started up in 2016. And uh, position opened up, and so I was able to come on board. And so I've been been a part of the creation project since the the start, and it's uh, it's been fantastic. Thanks for having us on, Jason. My name is Jeff. I'm uh, the director of the Henry Center. It's my first year as director. I've uh, been here for about eight years. Finished my uh, dissertation at uh, Trinity, working with Kevin Van Hooser about two and a half years ago, just before my twins were born, and uh, been involved in, um, obviously, the creation project since its inception, and um, just really grateful uh, for the work that we have at the Henry Center, as well as uh, opportunity to minister alongside um, people like you and um, the work that, that you guys are doing. So thanks for having us on the show today. Well, can you guys tell us a little bit about the Creation Project and how that kind of gave rise to this book? 
Yeah, sure. The, the, so the, the, maybe it would be helpful to start with a little background on the Henry Center. We, we've been around for about 15 years now. Uh, it's a ministry that really arose out of the faculty at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. This, uh, there was a sense among the faculty that uh, the specialization in knowledge is uh, in many ways good, but also quite harmful, uh, particularly in the way it fragments knowledge and prevents us from addressing uh, collaboratively the issues that require our attention. And so we, uh, from the inception, have been about uh, promoting projects that are collaborative in nature and addressing a pressing need of the church. We've done that in various ways, projects related from everything from witchcraft accusations in Africa to globalizing theology and uh, the doctrine of scripture with Don Carson. And the Issues related to modern science and evolution um, are a good example of, of um, something that's requiring the need of the church and is inherently interdisciplinary in nature. Um, so we took it on um, as one of those topics that we'd engage in. And um, I could let Joel maybe tell a little bit more about the sort of objectives that we've tried to accomplish over these past several years. But that's sort of the background sense um, and need of what, we've, what we're about, the Henry Center, and what we've tried to accomplish in the creation project. Yeah, that, that's really helpful. It is. Um, so the creation project, it, it is a piece with the work of the Henry Center. Um, but uh, the impetus behind the creation project was the recognition that among uh, Protestants in general and evangelicals in particular, um, there has historically been such a heavy emphasis on um, salvation and soteriology that um, Functionally, often the doctrine of creation gets crowded out. Um, it, it gets tacked on as an afterthought, um, kind of in, in the order of doctrinal reflection. End result being um, something evangelicals have, have typically kind of suffered from an anemic doctrine of creation, uh, just because it, it doesn't receive the attention that it deserves. So that was one impetus. A second impetus was um, the recognition that the sciences uh, are are raising real and pressing issues for classical Christian commitments within the doctrine of creation. And one of the results of that first factor meeting the second factor is often when evangelicals think about creation, um, their minds immediately go to certain flashpoint topics within the doctrine, like um, the age of the earth, the origin of species, those very controversial issues. But when you look back over the history of doctrinal reflection, while those issues were important and are important, um, the doctrine itself is actually a lot bigger. And so part of the impetus behind the creation project is it's to do two things. Um, it's to catalyze a field of study around the doctrine of creation that's one, faithful to scripture, and two, in dialogue with contemporary scientific research. So that's the impetus. Um, creation Project exists in five programs. Uh, we have a resident fellowship. We have a congregational partnership. We host public lectures and events. We also have uh, an online periodical, uh, Sapientia. So go check that out where we, we host short form essays and book reviews, book symposium, that sort of thing. All addressing issues within the doctrine of creation uh, and uh, that in a way that's also conversant with the natural sciences. 
Well, I know for for one, I've been able to experience and participate a little bit in some of the work that you guys have been doing with the Creation Project, and we'll make sure to link to a lot of those resources uh, in the show notes for listeners to be able to check out more about the Henry Center and about the Creation Project. When you're specifically kind of focusing on this book, one of the things that I really appreciated about is you're wanting to produce a resource for the church to think theologically about the big, some of these big issues surrounding science and the nature of religion and how uh, the doctrine of the creation is so central in the way that we think about these things. In the introduction that you guys wrote for the book, you mentioned a quote by John Webster where he highlights the three different topics that are traditionally treated within the doctrine of creation, which is one, the identity of the creator to the act of creating, and three, the nature and ends of created things. Why do you think it's the case that often one of these topics is highlighted to the neglect of others in these debates over science and theology? Yeah, it's a, it's a uh, good question that you're asking, Jason. In a certain sense, it's tied to that. And I'll see how, how Joel would want to respond to this uh, differently, but uh, it's tied in part to the limits of the natural sciences. Only one of them uh, is explicitly bound up with empirical inquiry, name, namely the, the nature and ends of created things. Um, so it's not so much that in theology, um, there's only one that's emphasized. It's just that when you're looking at something like biology or chemistry or various developments that are observable by the natural sciences, you're inherently inclined towards one uh, over against the others. Uh, so the question is, how do you include the other two who God is and what he's doing in creating as part of our theological inquiry and part of our science-engaged theological inquiry in particular. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, yeah, and so it's it's both, and we'll just add to that, it's both kind of the nature of the scientific questions that are pressing in on the doctrine of creation, but then also it's kind of part and parcel with the theological task that we're prone to to drop one of the threads along the way, so to speak. And one of the things that, that Webster is so good about, about pointing out is, is the importance of keeping in mind your the whole panoply of doctrinal commitments that a person has while you're addressing issues in other doctrines. So for example, um, within work on the doctrine of the atonement, you can't just sideline your Trinitarian theology or your doctrine of the incarnation, or your doctrine of the God. You have to, to hold all of these together. And so in the same way, within the doctrine of creation, um, when you're looking at things like the nature and ends of created things, um, you have to, to keep in mind the identity of the creator and, and what your conclusions about the nature and ends of created things has for that theological question. Well, to dig in a little bit on the volume itself, who are some of the primary theologians that were highlighted by the contributors, and why did you want to make sure that uh, these specific figures were highlighted in this type of volume? Yeah, so we have um, 10 chapters covering 10 theologians, all written by modern theologians, notable in their own right. Um, William Burt Pope and B.B. Warfield are two North American theologians, one representing Presbyterian uh, other representing Methodist tradition. We have a sort of scattering of um, theologians throughout continental continental Europe. Um, but um, probably many of these names are new to many of your viewers, like B.B. Uh, Warfield, Jürgen Moltmann, uh, Wolfhard Pannenberg, Robert Jensen, Colin Gutten. Um, 
but we were really trying to get a good representation of modern theologians, so engaging with issues of modern science, but also who are very influential in the discipline of theology, shaping the theological tradition for reasons bound up with the nature of the project, which was to see how uh, the discipline of theology engaged the sciences. Oftentimes these conversations come, are shaped either by those in the sciences who are asking scientific questions or theologians tend to not be as science engaged. So we were trying to pick a handful of modern theologians who have been more science engaged in the the way that they raised um, various topics broadly related to the doctrine of creation. Well, one of the reasons that I really appreciate this volume is kind of the breadth of the different type of theologians you were able to include, especially a lot of the folks who wrote the chapters themselves, as you said, are notable theologians on their own right, uh, writing about someone else. And so one of the, I know as of late for me, I've been digging a lot into the um, theology and kind of the ethics of Herb and Bavink, who focused a lot on the relationship between philosophy, science, and theology. And one of the things that I've noticed in a lot of his writing is you start to see a lot of these kind of common threads. Um, in this volume specifically, were there any common threads or themes that kind of arose from this more general study of these 10 different theologians uh, that are kind of worth pointing out? Yeah, that's a great question. And I wish we had Bavnik in the vol- volume as well. That was... Uh... We tried to get somebody to write on him, but uh, no luck, I'm afraid. So he he got left out. Well, next time um, you can hit me up on that. So. Hey, all right, we'll <laughs> we'll track you down for the volume number two. Um, yeah. So uh, one of probably the biggest surprise of the volume um, was the towering influence of Bart. That Bart had towering influence shouldn't be surprising to to most folks who are familiar with 20th century. Protestant theology in particular. Um, but the reason it was surprising is because, and Kate Sonderager does a really great job of showing this in, in the chapter, that he doesn't actually really engage the sciences explicitly all that much at all, except what he does is enormously influential for everyone downstream of him. Um, and so really the the surprise of the volume, once we put all the chapters together, was how Bart functions as a hinge point um, for what came before and what came after him. The way that he's a hinge point, um, and, and again, Sonderager does a, a beautiful job of showing this, is, is his rejection of what was one of the dominant perspectives on the relationship between kind of the empirical sciences and theology prior to Bart. Um, that had roots in in the thought and theology of Friedrich Schleiermacher, that the domain of the sciences and the domain of theology are completely separate, that they're doing completely different things. And so that they, in principle, can't actually end up contradicting each other when you're doing both well. And what Bart does is, is he comes along um, and he refuses to sign that non-aggression treaty um, is the way Sonderager puts it. And he he insists instead that that God the creator lays claim to the whole of reality and that the world that science investigates and the world that scripture and the classical Christian tradition speaks of in our confessional commitments, it's the same world. And so what you end up seeing in the volume is downstream of 
of that move by Bart is a host of different theologians from very different traditions taking that insight and running with it in different ways. And so, um, and you see that in Pannenberg and Torrance and uh, Moltmann and Jensen, the influence of Bart was was actually pretty staggering. Yeah, no, I think maybe the only thing I would add is um, on the on the uh, one world comment, um, while there's unity of thought between science uh, and theology, what the volume also highlights is the breadth and diversity that you find in the doctrine of creation. Uh, and so you don't necessarily find one way in which the one world is worked out uh, before or after Bart, but really um, a, a breadth of the way the theological tradition, various uh biblical passages are employed in engaging topics. Uh, so, for example, Tannenberg draws on creation alongside uh, eschatology and thinking about the end of things, whereas you'll have um, someone like um, Jensen's article focuses much more on issues of story and narrative and history related but distinct. Um, you have in T.F. Torrance drawing Christo uh, creation along in conversations with Christology and the nature of the humanity of Christ. So there's just such a breadth uh, of ways in which engaging um, various scientific discussions in the one world. And I didn't mention, I was focusing theologically there, but you also see you know, Newton pulled in here, evolution pulled in there, information sciences over there. So you know, the, the empirical world is, is wide and complex and um, even more so, I, I presume, in your own uh, work on technology and the kinds of topics and questions raised, uh, and equally so, the theological breadth that we have in engaging that topic has a similarly expansive um, realm uh, for engagement. Yeah, that's one of the things that I've noticed in a lot of my work on technology and ethics is how many people can approach the same situation so differently. Um, and so for listeners who might not be like intimately familiar with the doctrine of creation and the different approaches that are taken by these theologians, can you kind of lay out the groundwork of saying, hey, this is the doctrine of creation and here are a couple of the kind of big flashpoints or big debates that we see play out in this volume and just to help listeners grasp a little bit more of what's actually going on in the volume as these theologians kind of interact with one another in some sense? That's a curveball, Jason, but a great question. Uh, Joel mentioned uh, the one world issue already and sort of compatibilism to what extent theology and science coincide. Uh, what other what other aspects would you say we saw emerging as sort of topics of um, needing refinement in the book, Joel? Yeah, no, that is a great question. Um, it's a little tough to pin down because partly because we we structured the volume to look at the doctrine of creation as distributed as you know appearing in different ways across the different chapters and so for example we didn't ask you know everyone focus specifically on the issue of origins human origins universal origins or whatever so there the differences in approaches and kind of the debates they don't fall neatly into specific categories but having said that um the issue of human origins is obviously one that is uh debated within Protestant theology and evangelical theology in particular, is mainstream evolutionary theory compatible with a evangelical Protestant commitments to the authority of scripture, 
the truth of scripture, the inherency of scripture, etc. Um, and so you do see that appear across some of the some of the chapters. So the the chapter on B.B. Warfield in particular, um, I think that's a good example that Warfield's relationship with the evolutionary theory of his day is actually extremely complex. Um, the Brad Gunlock, the author of this chapter, argues that it's a mislabel to call him a theistic evolutionist, even though he's he's often labeled as such. Um, nevertheless, you know he accepts origin of species, for example, and common descent. Um, so the issue of human origins is one of the the debates and the extent to which evolutionary theory can give us insight into human origins or if it's compatible with the creation narratives in Genesis one through three. Um, that's one of the, the hot button issues, but one of the, the purposes of the volume was also to not focus specifically on that. Um, but to also see the way that the doctrine of creation is operative, um, outside of kind of the standard debates. I know that was one of the things that I really appreciated about the volume is that the doctrine of creation, as you said, isn't reduced to a few of these kind of flashpoint or presenting issues as you get a much more in-depth and kind of broad understanding of how the doctrine of creation plays out through the life of the church throughout the the breadth of scripture. As you're walking away from this volume and kind of doing the 2020 hindsight, is there space, as you guys see, for Christians to take the claims of modern science seriously without compromising theological integrity? Because I know that's kind of one of the big presenting issues is that you either have theology, religion, and faith on one side and science on the other, as if these two are not friends or wed together in God's uh, natural created order as God is the creator and us is created in his image. So is there space for Christians to be able to take these claims of modern science seriously without compromising theological integrity? Yeah, Jason, I think that question is phenomenal. It really does get to the heart of uh, what the creation project's about. Uh, two of our objectives, both in catalyzing a field of study in the doctrine of creation, but also in providing clear and public guidance for the church. Uh, and there's three aspects to your question, really. The, what are the claims of modern science? What does it mean to take them seriously? Um, and um, how do we discern when we're compromising theological integrity? Yeah, absolutely. And that is part and parcel with uh, in line with the aims of the creation project. Because, for example, um, taking the claims of the natural sciences seriously does not imply or entail um, accepting wholesale the claims of the natural sciences without critical engagement, without uh, thinking through deeply about how these claims, theories, beliefs, systems, frameworks may or may not impinge on other beliefs that we have, um, some of which are grounded in scripture and the Christian tradition. Um, so yeah, absolutely. It's Is there room for Christians to take the claims of the natural sciences seriously and also not compromise theological integrity. Yes. And part of the impetus behind this volume was, was not to, to provide an answer about how to do that. It's not a normative volume. We're not saying, Hey, look, um, these theologians do it the way that we should, because for one thing, they approach it different ways. Um, 
Instead, what the volume is trying to do is showing how particular exemplars of Protestant, modern Protestant theology, here's how they did it. And here's ways that we can learn from what they did and, and ways that we can maybe not follow them. Um, the chapter on, on Boltmann, for example, um, is kind of a cautionary guide that here is one major Protestant interpreter uh, who approached the issues of science and theology in a way that probably, definitely isn't helpful uh, for Protestant theology or evangelicals in particular. So as science and technology continues to grow and becomes more ubiquitous in our everyday lives, and you think of a lot of what we do on this podcast is intersecting with a lot of modern technologies and how they shape and form us, um, how they shape our conscience and the way that we go about ethics and philosophy and theology. What are some of the things that Christians should be mindful of as we seek to thoughtfully approach a lot of the new technologies or a lot of the new sciences of the day while upholding a robust doctrine of creation? That's a that's a complicated question, uh, Jason. I presume requires our attention um, perpetually, especially as technology is constantly changing. Uh, you know, as Joel and I were sort of you gave us some questions to prepare for and think about, and as we were wrestling with this, we were really talking about there's there's sort of two aspects to your question. There's the doctrine of of creation. How does creation guide us as we think about various uh, technological developments, but then there's also the, the doctrine, or how does theology itself um, guide us? You know, I think one thing I would want to say, and I think it comes out in our volume, but um, is demonstrated in many other aspects of the church, I would want to encourage um, your listeners to recognize however new and changing and developmental technology is, theology um, is stable and is secure. And, um, you know, so when you see people finding new, finding, reading afresh Augustine, say, in modern psychology, it's a reminder that there is something stable and, and perpetual uh, about the Christian faith. We can go back to Augustine. We can go back to Aquinas and Calvin, uh, even in light of our new uh, discussions. And it might require fresh readings and thinking about things in, uh, in different ways, but scripture is stable. Uh, the tradition that our faith and our church are founded on are stable. So I think I would at least want to encourage uh, our readership to, to read with the church uh, and the tradition and scriptures, even while reading it afresh in light of new questions and new challenges that we have with our technology. Yeah, and, and completely agree uh, and, and would only add that the Christian tradition, the Christian faith is, is simultaneously stable and Neither is it static. So there are genuinely new questions. Um, and I mean, your listeners are, are well aware of them because um, the fact is that you know Thomas Aquinas did not have to wrestle with the ethical implications of CRISPR-Cas9, for example. Um, or, you know, Augustine had some strong views on on sexual ethics and, and the act of sex in particular, but he didn't have to think about artificial reproductive technologies. Um, and so I think this, the way to approach it gets back to uh, your previous question and, and taking modern science and the developments uh, and the new, particularly the ethical issues that advancing technologies raises seriously um, and finding 
faithful and creative ways to appropriate the truths of the Christian faith uh, in new ways that actually answer these questions. Um, that's the theological task. Yeah, and it's that's one of the things that's been really encouraging about this volume, but also the work that you guys are doing in the Creation Project, because we're doing something similar in terms of technology with Weekly Tech and here in the podcast and the newsletter, is how do we then look at the modern challenges, the ethical challenges of the day in terms of science and technology and apply old the older scriptures, the older doctrines to those? Because I'm, I'm convinced that most of the major questions we face today at their fundamental core, the, many of the same questions that have been addressed before. I think in the introduction, you all mentioned um, a C.S. Lewis quote about theological snobbery. Often we look back at older thinkers and think, oh, we've developed, we've kind of moved past them, we don't need them. But the contributors throughout the volume, and I'd say kudos to you all as the editors of the volume, that that doesn't happen here. Is you can look back at some of these older figures and gain so much insight and clarity, not only to the issues they were facing of the day, but also to be able to take certain nuggets and apply them to some of the uh, major questions that we're facing uh, in our own day. As we close out our time together, for a lot of listeners, this might have been kind of deep. They might have said, hey, I didn't realize that this was such a robust and kind of deep and wide topic. And there, obviously, we want to recommend your volume. We'll link to that in the show notes for people to go and check out. But are there one or two books that maybe each of you would recommend for listeners if they want to take that next step to go a little bit deeper in studying the doctrine of creation or the depths of theology? Is there something that you would recommend as kind of a good primer or a good starting point for folks to dig a little bit deeper? No, that's a, a great question. Um, I'm going to cheat and say two books. Um, so. Uh, if I, if I had to recommend two books, I would recommend Gavin Ortland's book, uh, Retrieving Augustine's Doctrine of Creation, uh, which was his project that he did through our Henry Resident Fellowship. I did not know that. That's a very good book, by the way. We'll make sure to link for our listeners to check it out. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, and it, it, yeah, it's um, it's a fantastic book, and it shows, it, it illustrates the point you were just making about how the Christian tradition can rely on and draw from uh, previous areas of thought and creatively appropriate them for contemporary questions. It's it's an exemplar of that of that approach. And then the second book um, for those who are more interested in history is uh, James Ungaru's Science, Religion, and the Protestant Tradition: Retracing the Origins of Conflict um, with the University of Pittsburgh Press. Um, so that is a volume that is problematizing, uh, the conflict narrative, um, that science and theology or science and religion are perpetually at war. Um, so those would be my two recommendations. I mean, part of the challenge, the question is the, the doctrine of creation biblically and theologically is so broad that there's value in just sort of, sort of, um, undoing some of the, the well-trodden uh, roots and seeing the, the wider scope. Um, so, you know, is it is it how you read scripture? Reading Genesis Well by Jack Collins is another book that came out. So for those who are interested in a wider view of um, scripture, that uh, one of our early creation project books I'd recommend. But, you know, I think the one that I might recommend in part because it does a good job of ex expanding what we think is included in the doctrine of creation uh, it might be Colin Gunton's Triune Creator. It's a little bit more technical, and it has some 
weaknesses in the way that he sort of he's one of those prone to grand narratives. Maybe he's a little bit unfair to the tradition, but he does a good job of showing how creation's tied not only to questions of origins, but also uh, the nature of God's character, uh, divine providence, and how God is actively involved in the shaping and development of history, human ethics, uh, human nature, as well as eschatology, how things will come to a completion. So I think for a person who wants to get a, and Trinity, the way that the whole Triune Council is involved in how we think of creation. So I think for a person interested in sort of getting a fuller sense of what creation is, that's a semi-introductory way into it. That might be the book I'd, I'd recommend. No, those are all really helpful resources. And I know I, for one, have really enjoyed our conversation today. I recommend listeners to go pick up a copy of the book. We'll make sure to link to that as well as the rest of these resources in the show notes uh, so you can have a one-click to be able to go and purchase those books. But I want to thank you both. Thank you for the work that you're doing through the Henry Center. Thank you for this volume. And I really appreciate you guys taking time out of your busy schedules to join us here on Weekly Tech. Yeah, thanks for having us, Jason. Pleasure to get to know you a little bit more. And thank you for the work that you're doing. Yeah, thanks, Jason. This was fantastic. Really appreciate it. Well, from all of us here at Weekly Tech, I want to say thank you for listening. If you enjoy Weekly Tech, would you consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app? These reviews really help us to know how we're doing and also to share the word about Weekly Tech with others. As a reminder, you can connect with Dr. Fulkerson and Joel Chop and learn more about their work at the Henry Center in the show notes. You can also sign up to receive the Weekly Tech email briefing each Monday morning. This resource is designed to prepare you to think deeply about the pressing technology issues of our day, as well as to stay up to date on the latest technology news. You can subscribe now at jasonthacker.com slash weeklytech. Thank you, and I hope you have a great week.